Let's get started, everyone. So good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ari Ghosh, and I travel the U.S. Exchange here at Credit Suisse. Um, for our next session, we are hosting a virtual fireside chat with CME Group to discuss strategic priorities and the outlook for 2021. As the company faces an improved macro backdrop and has successfully completed key pieces of migration and integration efforts. It's my pleasure to welcome CFO John Petrowitz and Global Head of Financials and OCC Products, Sean Talley, this afternoon. Gentlemen, I wish we were doing this in person from sunny Florida, but really appreciate you being with us here virtually. So thanks so much. Well, thank you, thank you Ari, and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's, uh, you know, uh, good to be able to talk to everybody. I, I, too, as I'm sitting here in snow in Chicago in my bedroom, wishing I was down in uh, Florida with you. Yeah, exactly. You know, why don't we just get uh, jump right into things. So 2020 um, was a disruptive year of global markets, to say the very least, but the macro backdrop has improved here in 2021, and you're seeing that reflected in your futures complex, where volumes improved in Jan, they're holding up in Feb, um, you know, including rates and energy, which were most impacted sort of from these macro headwinds um, last year. So why don't we kick things off with a high-level update on, you know, early customer engagement trends that you're seeing across commercials, buy-side, sell-side, operating, just across the street there, and how that compares to what you saw in 2020. Well, well thank you, and, um, and good good morning or afternoon, uh, everybody. So, um, you know, you're exactly right. We're off to a good start to the year. Uh, we're averaging about 20 million contracts a day uh, so far in 2021. Um, you know, that's up from about 16 million in the fourth quarter of last year. Time has been tremendous the last week or so, um, especially the last three days. Uh, we do have the treasury roll kicking in. Uh, we had 34 million contracts on Monday and, uh, 30, about 38 million contracts the last two days. And you know, we're off to, uh, you know, I think a pretty, another pretty strong day, you know, again today, uh, Thursday. Um, when you take a look from a customer perspective, um, you know, the proportion of activity, when you look at uh, the fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year so far, the proportion of activity is, is, is relatively constant. Um, so that means that kind of everybody is participating and increasing. Now, we have seen a couple of smaller shifts. Uh, in, we've seen some improvement in terms of the proportion of trading from uh, banks, uh, hedge funds, and commercials. And I think that's reflective of increasing, you know, large increase, increase in activity in interest rates, uh, energy, and agricultural uh, commodities. So, um, you know, so, I, I, you know, good start to the year so far, and, um, you know, some real positive trends in some of the um, areas that were uh, kind of challenging in uh, 2020. Yeah, now let's drill down then, you know, on some of these um, segments. And again, it's a, it's a good start to the year. And then with interest rate futures, you know, if we start there, again, the rate environment looks relatively more accommodative. You're just given uh, the CP yield curve, for a date kind of volumes are tracking arguably higher than expectations. However, you know, if I look at the open interest trends here, open interest sort of remains a little more muted year over year. So, yeah, I was hoping you could unpack some of the dynamics at play here. And if, you know, perhaps you should be looking at either certain product prices um, that, 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 that are a little different to gauge the underlying health um, of the franchise over the next 12 months. 
Thanks very much, Ari. So this is Sean. I'll jump in maybe and talk about the interest rate franchise and interest rate futures and your question there. Now, thanks for the question. Great question. As you said earlier, um, you know, there are huge, obviously, macroeconomic headwinds for the interest rate business last year. Um, obviously, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve in particular, as well as their uh, purchase of more than $3 trillion worth of assets, right, with a massive increase in their balance sheet. And one of the themes that we brought to investors last year was the unprecedented aggressiveness by the Federal Reserve, both in the overnight policy as well as in terms of the speed of taking the rates down. But in addition to that, the um, the aggressiveness in terms of the quantitative easing and the increase in size of the balance sheet, unprecedented in U.S. history. At the same time, another theme that we talked a lot about, at, and something you can see on our new Treasury Watch Tool, which we launched last year, is in addition to those um, uh, aspects from the Federal Reserve on the fiscal side, unprecedented fiscal stimulus, right, Un- unprecedented levels of new debt issuance by the U.S. Treasury, and unprecedented debt-to-GDP ratios, you know, uh, surpassing levels, you know, only ever seen before in the United States during World War II. And I think what we said was that the current environment was a challenging one, uh, nonetheless, that as we came out of this crisis, that there would be far more need for our products than ever before, given um, the, the extreme reactions both by the Federal Reserve as well as the U.S. Treasury. And that's what we're seeing happening. That's really coming to fruition. So if you look at the third quarter of last year, for example, we had the lowest ever volatility in the eighth year at all future, or the eighth quarterly, so two years out, um, in, in its entire history. You know, if you if you look likewise um, at the twelfth year at all future, the ten year note, these the lowest volatilities going back to January of two thousand and seven, and in our classic bond future in the third quarter. Um, a 14% ranking in that volatility in the third quarter. So, 90, sorry, so 86% of the time, volatilities were higher in the classic bond future um, than, than, than they were in the third quarter. What are we seeing this year? In this year, through February 19th, we're seeing a very small uptick in those volatilities, a very small uptick in those rankings. And you see, for example, the eighth year dollar future remains through February 19th at, at the lowest volatilities we've seen since the beginning of 2007, you see the 12th euro dollar future um, at 4%, so still 96% of the time through February 19th of this year, of all the in that in that 12th euro dollar future were higher. 10-year note, uh, fifth, fifth, uh, uh, um, uh, 5% um, ranking. So in other words, 95% of the time it was higher. And the classic bond, 27%, so um, still you know, 73% of the time, volatilities were higher. Even in that environment, what we're seeing is this tremendous growth in the use of our products, which is what we would have expected and what we did expect. Um, and in the, in, the, in the recent week, yes, we've had the role, and the role boosts our volumes, but we're seeing much, much more than that. You know, another thing in terms of the third quarter of last year, in terms of the third quarter of last year, so let's talk about six months ago, um, the first tightening by the Federal Reserve was implied in late 2024. That first tightening is now moving into, as implied by our, our marketplace, into early 2023, and as of this morning, even potentially in December of 2022. So what does that mean? That means much more of interest to investors, and we have all the products. We, we launch all of the products that are necessary uh, post the global financial crisis for customers to pinpoint their risk along that part of the yield curve um, with the right liquidity, the right products, in order to manage that risk. What are we seeing this week on the back of that? Um, are, are relatively new, only a couple of years old, ultra 10-year futures, as well as our classic bond futures, um, had an all-time record volume day in the last week, highest volume ever, even though we continue in a depressed volatility environment. In terms of the ultra 10-year future, 
on February 22nd, all-time record open interest, all-time, all-time, even in this lower volatility environment. So for futures, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, have um, record average daily volume. Uh, uh, so actually for the month, over 100,000 contracts a day. Um, in addition to that, record open interest, record number of large open interest holders. So you're seeing as soon as a little bit of volatility comes back in the market, we see huge growth in our products, especially around those parts of the curve um, where the Federal Reserve might take an action. If you look in the third year of your law futures, I said 2023, right? So, so the first tightening had been expected in late 2024. It's now moved into early 2023, 23 being the third year then of the yield curve. Um, and so, you know, most impacted by the products that we have in terms of our third year of mid-curve options and our third year of your dollar futures. If you look at the third year of your dollar futures, um, those what we call grains, um, you know, on a on a, on you know a product basis, um, we we have 113% growth in open interest year over year. We've got 165% growth in the average daily volume year over year. And in terms of the three-year mid-curve options, so the third year. We actually had a record, an all-time record open interest in those options, and we recently had an all-time record volume day of nearly a million contracts in those mid-curve options. So in those products that are involved in that part of the curve where it's implied the Fed might do something, we're seeing all-time record volumes in open interest. Now, what will happen as we go forward, I don't know, obviously, but if you think about it, you know, our REDs, have much higher open interest. So the second year of your dollar futures and that second year of options, so the options that refer to the second year of futures, um, much higher open interest, much higher average daily volume than the third year. Third year have much higher volume than the fourth year. First year um, have much higher than the second year. So just as we move through time, if the yield curve remains where it is even today, right, you're going to see much, you should see much more trading activity, much larger open interest, um, because that that implied Fed movement or the possibility of the Fed moving is much closer in. So um, we're seeing much more than just the role. We're seeing a huge jump in volumes and open interest in the products that are focused on that part of the yield curve. Uh, super comprehensive, uh, Sean. I think that, that really helps too. Um, moving to energy, which was another segment, you know, impacted by the pandemic last year. Market trends here again, much more improved with the price of crude recovering nicely. And I think here as well, you see some interesting dynamics, um, at play with, you know, if I think about U.S. crude gaining significance in global oil markets, European refiners, you know, processing more of U.S. crude, um, today than they did, you know, a year ago. And perhaps offsetting that, um, some regulatory initiatives around drilling limitations, um, you know, potential um, U.S. regulatory changes that might impact the EMP producers as well. So, you know, interesting dynamics here. I was hoping you could unpack some of these global and structural um, factors at play um, and, you know, how that informs your uh, WTI outlook for 2021. Well, I'll take that, uh, Ari. So, you know, we've certainly um, seen a strong start to the year for the global crude oil market. With OPEC maintaining their um, their production cuts, coupled with the increased demand um, as um, you know, there's more usage of crude oil, um, gasoline, and aviation fuel, you've seen uh, an upward trajectory in terms of crude oil prices to the 60 to 65 dollar per barrel range. Uh, this is well above the break-even point for um, U.S. shale producers. 
So we're seeing good participation by our commercial customers. Also, you've seen a return in terms of the exporting of U.S. crude to around 3 million barrels a day. So when you couple that all together, you've seen, um, you know, a strong start to the year in our energy complex. Um, you know, we were averaging about 2.5 million uh, contracts a day, and we're averaging uh, so far this quarter, we're averaging 2.8 million contracts a day for the uh, month of February. Now, this compares to uh, about 1.9 million for the fourth quarter of 2020 and 1.8 million ADV for the month of December. So really, really, you can see, um, you know, a strong, strong return uh, in terms of uh, trading activity in the WTI. Um, you also can see, you know, the U.S., you know, being a, an important swing producer and with uh, the shale, um, you know, profitability, um, you know, uh, shale oil profitability, you know, I think, um, you know, it sets us up well um, as the, you know, global, you know, as global, um, uh, you know, trends towards, um, you know, improving economies and, um, you know, the towards the end of the pandemic. Um, you mentioned some regulatory changes, um, you know, in the medium term, um, you know, we don't see much um, impact, uh, you know, happening in the medium term. Uh, the non-permitting of the next phase of the Keystone, Keystone XL pipeline uh, isn't really a surprise, and nor does it directly impact your WTI business. Um, so I, I think you're seeing, you know, some really good um, macro uh, dynamics, uh, which, um, you know, I think will be beneficial for our, our energy franchise. Got it. Um, and this is maybe just more broadly, if you can speak to the ongoing diversification within the energy um, franchise of yours, including, you know, nat gas and clearly if you think there's any, uh, you know, longer term implications following some of the recent market uh, disruptions that we saw this year. Yeah, no, th- yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, really, really um, excited about, you know, the nat gas market. Uh, and it's been a huge growth driver for us. In fact, in 2020, um, you know, we had a record year of about 500,000 contracts a day in our nat gas business. The bulk of the, the um, growth is coming from EMEA in Asia, you know, as we continue to globalize um, our natural gas business. Uh, 2021 has, you know, we've seen a very strong start um, with February ADV at 655,000 ADV, which compares to 450,000 contracts in December. And uh, as I mentioned, like 500,000 contract for all of 2020. Um, now, you know, we're going to be facing tough comps, um, you know, as, as, as we're going to be facing tough comps across all of our, our business because of uh, such a strong first quarter. Um, you know, uh, so we're going to see uh, some, you know, some tough comps in, in uh, natural gas as well. So in, in addition to the strong global growth, um, as everybody can attest to that's been going around outside, there's uh there's been a call for a uh, colder uh, weather outlook, uh, which is also fueling, uh, you know, fueling the, the bullish activity uh, in natural gas. Um, you know, natural gas is a market that we have uh, 82% market share. And uh, given the status of uh, this as being a clean uh, fuel, uh, nat gas, I think, is going to become an, more and more important and play a larger uh, role in the role in the longer um, energy transition uh, story. So, um, yeah, we've got, um, you know, really good diversification in our business, and I think we've got some good, um, you know, uh, benefits in terms of the structural um, dynamics as we come out of the pandemic. 
Got it. Yeah, I mean, the, the concept definitely tough, but the good thing is, at least for the first half of the year, it's already embedded in expectations and things like that. So it's all about, you know, if, if you're ahead of what people already think is going to happen, I think that's the key driver. And then yeah. thinking, looking at the second half of the year, it should, it, it, it should ease up there in terms of comps. Um, sure, and I, I'd, I'd rather have tough cops than easy cops, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, maybe moving then to uh, you know your higher RPC products again. You know you've seen nice growth there, metals, ags, and last year uh, maybe the macro-related factors sort of you know actually aided on um, some of the volumes there, especially across metals. Um, so maybe can you talk about either products, new product launches, um, users of these products, and growth out of APAC, which I believe you know like they they're heavy users of uh, of this, um, for example. So how, maybe how is that changing? dynamics over there with new products, new users, sort of adding a new layer of incremental um, volume and growth looking ahead? Oh, yeah, great, great question, and, and thanks thanks for the question. Um, yeah, you, you know, I, I think when you take a look at the our entire commodity suite of products, you know, they're, they're very global in nature, and, you know, I think they're really poised well to help our clients manage through um, the uh, recovery from uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, you, see, you see it now. Uh, China is uh, back in the global ag markets, uh, you're buying records amounts of U.S. soybeans, for example, and we're seeing strong acceleration of that in Q1 uh, that started in Q4 uh, 2020. Uh, in 2020, was already our second best year in the ags market with record activity um, in Q4 in EMEA and APAC. And 2021 is starting out even stronger with ADV at 1.7 million contracts a day. That's up 18% year to date. And we're seeing, um, you know, seeing strength in our open interest with um, about 8.6 million contracts in open interest. Um, so we're, we're continuing to see that global participation continue to lead the growth in 2021 as, you know, as we're, as we are the physical benchmark in the ag markets. Um, we have uh, launched a couple of contracts, which are um, pretty interesting. Um, we've launched our South American uh, soybean contract. Um, so no matter where uh, you are going to get your exports, whether it's the United States or Brazil, uh, we've got a tool to manage your, um, you know, to manage your risk. Uh, we've also launched a uh, pork cutout contract, um, which uh, is an augments to our, our livestock market. Um, the point being that, you know, you know, we are constantly looking at innovating um, across all our markets, including the ag markets. Um, you touched a little bit on the on the metal side. Um, you know, that has been one of our strongest growing um, asset class uh, year after year. Um, you know, we set our fifth consecutive uh, record year in 2020, and we set multiple records within our metals complex. We had a record uh, level of uh, activity in our precious metals. You know, you pointed out non-U.S. We had a record non-U.S. ADV in our metals contract, and and not just precious; it's also in um, industrial metals. So we set a record in aluminum futures and a, le- a record in steel futures. Um, that growth is continuing on into um, 2021. We had a, a strong start to the year uh, with ADV of about 707,000 contracts. Um, that's versus a Q4 ADV of about 568,000 contracts. So. You know, again, a, a good start to uh, to 2021. And on the product side of metals, um, we are excited about the launch of our cobalt uh, contract. Um, you know, as you know, cobalt is an important component in, ele- in electric vehicles. 
Um, it's still early days, but we're very, um, you know, we're very pleased with the um, participation um, with our commercial clients and end users in developing and designing the contract. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of exciting things going on across all of our uh, commodities businesses. Got it. Um, and then clearly, last but not least, you know, the equities business coming off a uh, especially strong year, record E-mini and micro growth um, um, that, that, that you saw. Um, so I'd love to get sort of your thoughts on the sustainability of the retail boom, which is making its way, you know, it looks like it's making its way into the, the future segment as well. And if you think these smaller retail-friendly or tactical products are going to be the norm moving forward, or perhaps, you know, if you think they're better suited for certain asset classes versus others. Yeah, I'll start and then um, I'll, I'll toss it to Sean to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what he's seeing in the in the equities place, uh, you know, um, equity space in particular. But, you know, as I mentioned on the earnings call, you know, we average about a million contracts per day in 2020, and that's up about 50 percent compared to full year 2019. So, you know, very strong growth in the um, active trader segment of our business. Obviously, the biggest gains we saw were in the equity uh, side of our business, um, and, and the micros in particular were a tremendous success. Uh, but we also saw year on year gains in metals and in, um, ags and FX. So all of those, um, contracts, you know, we saw, you know, good participation in from, from the, uh, active trader segment. And I think that really speaks to the diverse set of products that we have. Um, so if you are an active trader and you come to our markets, you know, we've got all of the, you know, the products that you would be interested in um, in, in trading, uh, whether it's commodities um, or financial products. Um, you can come to our our um, our market and you can trade that uh, 24 hours a day, uh, which is very attractive. And one of the things that we've been very focused on is building that liquidity 24 hours a day. Um, our digital outreach has been very successful. Um, we're reaching more participants uh, than ever before. And we continue to invest in education and events with our broker partners. Um, you know, a couple, couple points around the active trader. Uh, they tend to have a very high rate per contract. They don't tend to be members of the exchange. So they, so it tends to be a high rate per contract. So, um, you know, they're, they, um, contribute more to revenue than they do to volume because of that. Um, and, uh, you know, this is an area that we're going to continue to look at and develop, um, you know, we think that there is a lot of opportunity for us to um, expand in the um, in the active trader segment. I don't know, Sean, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you're seeing in the uh, equity side? Sure. Thanks very much, Sean. You know, a couple of things I'll mention. Um, we're obviously very excited about the success of our micro e-minis now launched a couple of years ago. So recently averaging about 2 million contracts a day. Um, and, you know, on a risk-adjusted basis, priced at a significant premium to the e-minis. Um, in fact, also, um, as we said on the on other calls, um, uh, on February 1st, we did increase um, the uh, rate card, um, so the, the fees that we charge for non-members for those products as well. Um, if you look at the micros, you know, for non-members in particular, um, you know, they were priced at 20 cents. They're now going to be priced at 25 cents. You know, on an e-mini equivalent, that's either $2 or $2.50. So a significant increase there and uh, also a significant premium 
over our other products. So very excited about the um, you know two million contracts a day, obviously, in a, in a new product single most successful launch in senior group history. Um, in terms of the active trader segment, we did add about two hundred thousand new tag fifties. This is the way we track new customers. So about two hundred new two hundred thousand excuse me new customers last year. Um, in senior group history, that is a phenomenal number. Um, you know, you can go back to um, you know more than a decade ago, and and I would. Um, strongly believe that we have fewer than 200,000 tag 50s across the entire exchange. So this is um, obviously enormous growth. So we're continuously looking at innovating. We're continuously looking at adding new customers. On the innovation side, um, we are very proud. Um, on the earnings call, we did, you know, show, as we do every year, um, innovative new products launched. Um, and in last year, you know, for the financials note to see unit, um, more than 3.2 million contracts a day. Um, in, in new products launched since 2010 and 365 million in revenues, uh, last year. Um, and so even in an extremely difficult year, in particular for extremely low volatility environment, um, we made 50 million more from new products in, uh, 2020 than we did in 2019. Um, so, so a result we're very proud of. Obviously then, as I said earlier, when you start to see an increase in volatility, um, even small increase in, in volatility, that it product innovation and the reach of new clients shows up in much higher volumes as we're seeing in the latest week. In terms of attracting new customers, you know, other things that we do to attract new customers, so the new products, I talked a bit about that. I talked earlier about the SOFR futures, you know, recently record open interest, um, record large open interest holders, record volume, um, ultra 10-year futures, record open interest, record volume uh, in the last week. Um, so so continue to get great traction in those new products. Um uh, you know, I could talk about the Bitcoin futures where we recently are having all-time record volumes. Um, and, you know, Ether futures we launched fairly recently doing more than a 1,000 contracts a day, so also in crypto space. And we've got a long pipeline of new products that are still in front of us, but but the recently launched products doing very, very well. In terms of adding new clients, uh, you know, another thing that we're very active in is in building new analytics and new tools using the unique set of data that we have that no one else has access to in order to – add value to the world, right, in terms of better managing their risk. But also, obviously, as we offer these new tools and these new analytics, um, you know, that attracts new business, right, and new participants to our market. So, um, you know, in my unit, for example, last year we launched four uh, significant new tools in the last several months. We added the new Treasury Watch Tool, which, uh, you know, um, allows you to see through our unique set of data, um, as well as, the data we have public access to across the Fed and the Treasury and others, um, you know, everything from the overnight rates and what's going on in the overnight market all the way out to 30 years across both the cash and the derivatives markets. Um, then in addition to that, we launched a new FX swap rate monitor, which for the first time ever shows, you know, the greatest transparency I've ever seen in a central limit order book in FX swaps, you know, which you can access to our FX link product. So clear standardized lower total cost alternative to OTC FX swaps. We also uh, launched... In our new uh, FX options vol converter tool, which for the first time ever shows all of CME's listed FX options in OTC equivalent terms. Um, and then last, we also launched um, our FX market profile tool, which for the first time ever synchronizes the spot foreign exchange data available on EBS with uh, the FX futures data available at CME and shows um, side-by-side, minute-by-minute, the liquidity in each of those two um, separate liquidity pools, but we show them uh, in a synchronized way and in a uniform way so the clients can see, depending upon what the type of trade they want to do is, 
um, whether they should be using the very deep liquidity in uh, the spot foreign exchange market or in the futures market. And it's very clear from the different nature of these liquidity pools, from the data we are now showing clients for the first time, that you need to use both of those liquidity pools in order to minimize your execution costs and to maximize, you know, um, our customers' returns in their own businesses. So, so um, you know, I'm bringing that up in part because um, you know, we have 15,000 unique um, uh, registrants, you know, to those four new tools, and those obviously then are converted into sales opportunities for our product. So another way, so we innovate on the tool side, showing more value, but that also um, gives us many more sales opportunities. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to hit on a lot of these um, points that you mentioned. Very interesting. And just going back to your uh, that number, it's a huge number, 250,000 um, ads that you had there. And just to clarify, that's active traders that you see on the platform that you added. And are they primarily using equities? Um, you know, is that their main focus or is it across the board um, utilization? So, sorry, maybe, um, uh, uh, you know, I didn't speak clearly, but it was 200,000, not 250,000. Yeah, 200,000. So, um, and, you know, as John said very clearly in our micro products, we've seen very good growth in the growth of metals micros. We've seen good growth in the FX micros. We've seen also very good growth in the, the equities micros. So we've seen it across all of those. But it's it's not just those products, right? But it's also, you know, we now have a sales force, right? Well, historically, CME's group, our sales force was concentrated in Chicago. Um, you know, we had been growing our international sales force, but also with the acquisition of Next Group, you know, the bulk of our salespeople outside of the United States, right? And so we now have a very significant presence in Asia as well as in Europe. And so, um, you know, we're constantly selling to, um, you know, new clients, right? New client acquisition, which is a big focus of that team, you know, both on the small active trader side as well as the large institutional side. Very interesting. Yeah. No, I think that's, uh, that's a tremendous number there too. Um, maybe shifting gears to the integration with, uh, with Next. Now, despite the challenges, you know, from a volume uh, backdrop last year following 1Q, um, you stayed on track with your migration efforts. You accelerated a lot of these cross introductions and sales, um, efforts as well, which arguably, you know, has gone underappreciated by some. So with BrokerTech migration completed, I was hoping you could dig in to maybe some of the green shoots that you're seeing as a result of futures and cash on one platform. Again, you know, it's early days, it just got done, but just given so much of the work that you already put in behind the scenes, um, do you expect sort of, you know, the, 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 the impact to be for us to see sooner rather than later, just given all the work, connectivity, testing, education effects that you've, uh, uh, that, that, that you've done over, you know, the past uh, six to 12 months? Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. I, I, you know, just kind of I'll put it into perspective. You know, you know, we, um, you know, acquired Next in uh, November 2018 is when we closed. So, you know, we're in the final year of a three-year plan to integrate the business. And, you know, from a synergy perspective, we're, we're, we're pretty pleased with how, you know, the performance um, has gone so far. You know, originally in year one or 2019, we targeted $50 million in synergies. We we achieved 64. Uh, in 2020, uh, we uh, had targeted a cumulative $110 million in synergies. We hit $140 million in synergies. So um, very, very pleased with the uh, entire effort of the, of the whole company to, to, make that, uh, to make that happen. And we're well on our way to achieving the $200 million that we had um, targeted for, uh, for this year. 
So, um, you know, it's been an entire company effort. Um, but what's particularly exciting, um, is, is moving the, um, the next businesses onto Globex. And then also, you know, we're looking to, um, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, combine our optimization businesses with IHS market, which I imagine we'll, we'll talk about maybe a little bit later on today, but, um, you know, very, very, very pleased with the, um, you know, with the entire uh, company and its its achievement of those those objectives. Uh, talk to you know, send it over to Sean to talk a little bit about what he's seeing from a, from a customer perspective. Yeah, so we're very excited about the um, migration of BrokerTech as of February first over to um, the Globex platform, and um, you know, we've already achieved a lot of uh, cross introductions, right, and the beginning stages of cross selling, um, but but the bulk of the you know the the revenue. Uh, opportunities are in front of us, um, especially with the advent of just getting broker tech on the Globex. So in terms of that and the improvements of that technology, it usually takes a few months um, with our, our highest volume participants. You know, imagine they're extremely data-driven. So when you offer them a new technology, a new platform, or when we do product adjustments such as changes in minimum price increments, it takes them time to fully adopt um, their models, right, their uh, trading algorithms to these new um uh, services, these new uh, uh, specifications, and so they'd like to see the actual trading data for a period of time. So that usually takes about three months to fully to have them fully adopt. So we do expect um, increasing activity as um, they get more comfortable with the platform and they get more data on how the platform operates over the next few months. Um, again, it was only February 1st when we transferred. In addition to that, you know, the new technology we've, we've spent um, so thank you, John. Um, we spent already, we've invested a lot of money in that new platform, and that means that, um, you know, there's a lot more innovation that we're going to be able to do, and that innovation then scales to both co- across both of our, our futures and our cash markets platform. Now, an example of that that I've spoken before on earnings calls is our new relative value trading functionality. Um, we have, why haven't we launched it yet? Again, it takes time for clients to adopt to the new technology. We want to give them some time to do that. It will take them some time to fully adopt and get ready for the new RV order type on BurgerTech. We do expect to launch that. We're planning on launching that before the end of March, however. So the first time that will allow participants to do curve trades on the BrokerTech platform, so 2s, 5s, 2s, 10s, 10s, bonds, etc. Obviously, curve trading is extremely popular in interest space. Um, and this new functionality, you know, allows them to first eliminate legging risk, right? So reducing the risk of entering and exiting the trades. Two, reduce the minimum price increment, so reduce the cost of entering and exiting those trades. And three, we're going to using, we'll be leveraging the Globex Imply technology that is extremely successful um, on uh, products such as our Euro Dollar Futures. Right where you take the um, combination of, uh, let's say, an outright order in two-year notes and a curve order in twos versus fives in order to create outright orders in five-year notes. So implied technology then will also improve the liquidity in the outrights. So we're very excited about that. Um, that will launch, um, you know, hopefully before the end of March. After that, we'll be looking at reducing the minimum pricing increments on three-year notes and you, you can see this is just the beginning. This new technology allows us to innovate um, and offer new products and services that have never been available in that marketplace before. Yeah, no, and, and to your point, again, you've done a great job on, on the synergy side of it, and now if we think about uh, some of the things that you just mentioned, it's fair to assume in terms of the functionality, in terms of the actual power of having a futures and cash on one um, platform and, and some of the new products that you're rolling out, we should be able to kind of see it by the first half of 21 um, in a meaningful way. Uh, is that is that uh, like a, a, a reasonable target in terms of the top-line contribution? 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't um, give any specific dates, right? So with all these things, when you offer new products and services, there is obviously a lot of uncertainty. But I can tell you that we will be delivering that Broker Tech will be adding far more value to its customers than ever before in the coming months, um, and we'll see how strong the uptake is. And, and is it by you said by March you should have uh, you know the RVs up and live and and some of the other functionality um, across platform as well. Yeah, I mean, as you know, right, it takes time, right, when you offer something new for clients to adopt, right? So I could give an yeah. example in terms of our portfolio margin between swaps and futures. You know, we first launched around 2014, right? But last year we had a record year of $5.4 billion a day of savings to clients, right? And so it sometimes, it, you know, it, it always takes at least weeks, if not months or years, right, for them to fully adopt to the potential of the new service. So I'm very excited about it. Um, and um, I've done very poorly, honestly, at predicting. Um, I can always predict the value we're going to add to our clients, but their uptake, um, I am not so good at um, uh, predicting the volumes. I would never, I would never have imagined that the micro e minis, when we launched them, would do over 300,000 contracts on day one. So I'm hesitant to ever make a prediction, so I won't make any predictions, but I do know we're going to be adding a lot of value. Yeah, otherwise people are going to add in 5x of whatever you tell them, right, based on what uh, the minis did, so... You want to be careful with that. Um, when, when, when we're setting the budget, uh, you know, Sean, <laughs> Sean always reminds me. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I've been saying all week, you know, when, when uh, we're having way too much fun, we run running on uh, time limitations. Um, but uh, maybe maybe you can just squeeze one more in. Um, one that I've been getting a lot from from clients and interest over there as well is your overall, you know, your, your capital and M&A outlook, um, leverages is at one, ample cash. When you think about what some of your competitors have done um, in the space, you know, you're, you're coming into 2021 um, with, with both the capacity to, you know, perhaps um, look at opportunities as well. So I'd love to get your thoughts here when you think about, you know, um, your your uh, your your priorities for organic initiatives, and then more importantly, really extracting those revenue synergies um, from BrokerTech and from the migration versus perhaps your appetite for you know transformational M and A, something larger at this moment. Um, you know, if you think about the next twelve months, how do you how do you think about opportunities? What you want to do versus um, something a little different or larger? Well, I, great question, and and I hope everybody. Um you know, you know, can 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 hear. You know, we've got a lot of things going on in in the business, and a, a lot of excitement around. Um, you know, where we're positioned coming out of uh, of the pandemic, and you know, I, I think our, our product suite, you know, our sales footprint, um, you know, and the value we can add to clients, I think is 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 pretty um, is pretty exciting. Um, in terms of in terms of M and A, you know. Uh, you know, I, I've been a part of the M&A process uh, since I started with the exchange in 2003, and you know, I've been a part of all of the the major uh, the major acquisitions that we've done. Um, you know, and you know, I think we've we've made some of the best acquisitions um, in the exchange space, uh, and um, you know, I think we really positioned us well with our diverse asset class and asset classes, and um, you know, we're very excited about the opportunities. Um, as you've heard, what we can do with next, um, and with the JV that we were creating with IHS Market. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, our priority one is to make sure we got the successful migration onto Globex and achieve all of the exciting things that Sean was talking about, and in completing our our um, our JV uh, with IHS Market. So, really creating uh, what we think is a lot of value with the assets. Um, you know, that we acquired with Max and really positioning them well for long-term success. 
Um, that said, you know, we do, um, you know, we do look at um, M&A uh, always, um, as you'd expect um, from a shareholder perspective. Um, and we take a very disciplined approach. Um, you know, we've got a very diverse uh, asset class and a, asset classes and a, and a great business model. Um, so we're always looking at ways to uh, enhance the customer experience, enhance, uh, you know, shareholder value. We'll, we'll continue to do that. Um, but I would say that, you know, we, we are very focused on making sure that we've got, um, you know, a successful um, experience for clients, um, you know, as we migrate on to Globex and um, add all of the additional features that Sean was discussing and, and getting, getting the JV off the ground and, and making sure that's uh, on a successful path. Got it. Now, very clear. Uh, so with that, we're out of time, unfortunately. Sean, Sean, thank you so much for your time today. It was fantastic. Real pleasure chatting with you guys. Um, and thank you, all of you, for dialing virtually as well. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.